You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. And welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we're back here at the next part of the show previewing Cardinals Vikings. And we've got Arif Hassan with us. Arif is one of the longtime guys I've been able to follow here on uh, Twitter, who follows the Vikings, uh, sometimes called a Seahawks fan, of course. Um, but he's a guy who uh, writes at least for the Pro Football Network 365 now, uh, wrote previously for The Athletic for a number of years, also hosts, I believe it's the Norse Code podcast. So Arif, welcome onto the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you joining. I wanted us to talk about Cardinals-Vikings, but this is a strange year in the NFL. It feels like you can't really find better evidence for that than the Vikings team being in first place with 5-1. and one. It's not something that I think a lot of Vikings fans have been used to with the Packers in the division, which is kind of awesome. Cardinals, on the other hand, had probably some higher expectations, but also didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. They're coming in at 3-4, and four, and it's very interesting at least as far as the nfc being so wide open i think both of these teams still see possibilities of making the playoffs but the vikings this year at least have done a lot in one score games yeah and the vikings uh are um they've only had two games that were not one score games and they've had three fourth quarter comebacks i think you can kind of do the math there they're doing all right in those one score games which of course you know brings up questions about sustainability and whether or not the vikings have the ability to kind of replicate this five and one record going forward being undefeated in close games is a pretty difficult task to continue especially as you head towards the playoffs so um the vikings have a lot of things that they need to kind of tighten up and, and nail down and make sure that they aren't in those close games make sure that they uh, make those games uh, run away from them as opposed to let them get close. Because a lot of the times the Vikings are, are, are coming out ahead quickly in the first half. And then in the second half, the offense has a lot of difficulty scoring. They let the other team back in and then they have to mount some sort of a defense or a fourth quarter comeback. And that's kind of how that's emerged. And if they have the ability to kind of, you know, make that happen in the second half is at least a half as well as they do in the first half, you know, they'd, they'd be, um, I think, a much more comfortable team to say is, is truly good. Yeah, absolutely. When you're saying about, you know, getting up to a big early first half lead and then letting a team back in the second half, I mean, maybe that just goes to show that we see an extreme version of that with the Arizona Cardinals on their side this season, um, being, I believe it was at one point thirty second or 31st in EPA, and then second half being essentially like the best team in the NFL of just getting back into <laughs> games and scoring. So, you know, it might be more of the same, at least for this week. They do finally at least get a home win for the first time in almost a calendar year. Uh, against the New Orleans Saints a week ago with a very beat-up secondary, very beat-up um, quarterback situation, especially for the Saints. They really were able to put points on the board. Arizona kind of let up, but game kind of came down to those two pick-sixes by Andy Dalton. Their Cardinals now actually are ahead of the Vikings in turnover differential, which is something that had not been the case. They relatively protected the football this year, but still have a 3-4 and four record, just have struggled to overcome the slow starts. One thing I think with this Vikings team, if you're talking about them being able to kind of have to make some of those stands or being able to put it up, has been the Blitz. I feel like Kirk Cousins this year has done relatively well against the Blitz overall, but I'm curious if you can share, because the Cardinals' DC Vance Joseph, he turns it up in the second half with his Blitz packages and coverages, and I'm very curious if later in the game, if Kirk is able to beat guys over with some of these quick passing patterns to the receivers, or if we're going to see, you know, the... 
Vikings be able to kind of take another sack or take a loss, punt it back, and Arizona able to make their way back in the game. Yeah, actually, the blitz uh, question with with regards to Kirk Cousins is is a very interesting one because I think that there are moments in a lot of games where you can say, hey, you know, he's doing some really excellent stuff, stuff you only see from top tier quarterbacks. You know, knowing that there's going to be replacement blitzes or sim pressures, knowing that you can't just throw into the blitz in order to beat the blitz, which is kind of the most common coaching point. Um, and knowing kind of what your reads are, what your hots are, and how to kind of move on and, and, and go through those. He's doing stuff that you don't see very often from lower level or average quarterbacks. But at the same time, his overall performance against the Blitz is actually quite poor, I think, from a numerical perspective. I don't know if that's changed uh, in the past two weeks or anything like that. But I know that for a good chunk of the season, you know, he has had some difficulty there. Um, the biggest problem, of course, is just, you know, whether or not he trusts his ability to kind of move on from one area to the progression to the other area of the progression. Right now, he is working with Kevin O'Connell to make sure that they are on the same page with regards to how long he holds on to that first read and whether or not he should move on to the second read, the third read. And that is complicating things when when the when the timeline speeds up for you in the pocket. Uh, and so that's kind of what the blitz does. It's less about being confused about which players are where and more about making sure that he can get to his second read at a time where the second read is appropriately open and that he can read that person correctly and throw in the right spot. So um, he has struggled this year a little bit more than most years against the Blitz. I mean, typically he actually is fairly good despite his reputation against pressure. Um, but, you know, he he saw some trouble in the Dolphins game against some Blitzes. He definitely saw some trouble in the Eagles game against some Blitzes. We know that both of those teams um, were aggressive in that game. The Eagles typically not as aggressive with the Blitz, but they decided to turn it up for that week. Uh, the Dolphins kind of always aggressive with the Blitz. Um, that That is going to be an interesting question going forward because it is a skill set that he has that we haven't seen him deploy at least consistently, you know, this year, mm. which might contribute to the fact that the Vikings have such a high three and out rate for a team that is otherwise so effective on offense. Yeah, Arizona also likewise has had a high three and out rate this year. But let's talk about this new Vikings offense. Uh, Kevin O'Connell comes over from the Rams and as an NFC West person, I know there's jokes obviously about you being a Seahawks fan, which of course just went <laughs> viral, but being able to look at the new look offense, I've seen a lot of the same types of things we saw for both Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford for years, whether it's those bootlegs, the be able to get those little short routes, kind of getting your quarterback a little away from pressure, having that power run game with Dalvin Cook, and then seeing a lot more of Justin Jefferson being able to be moved around the formation, um, just like in that Cooper Cup sort of role. And as a Cardinals fan, it's like, man, the play calling of Sean McVay would always get on you because you would watch the team, you know, fall for the play action and they would miss the bootleg, a guy slips open or just giving up tons and tons of yards to Jared Goff, who, you know, would be able to beat the blitz despite for whatever case Arizona would seem to bring, they would always find an answer. How has he been with the play calling and keeping on the same page? Because like you said, it's not like that it's been lighting the world on fire, but we are still seeing Justin Jefferson pick up a little bit of the slack and maybe some of the age that Adam Thielen has shown. I'm curious, though, also about Irv Smith Jr., because Cardinals have not done as well against the tight end, and after he came off of injury, I think he's looked great to start the season. Yeah, I think uh, with the play calling, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that part of the problem with the Vikings right now is their second half capabilities, especially on offense. And so to some extent, you'd have to imagine that the play calling is an issue. The first half, though, they have been remarkable. I think a lot of that has to do with their scripted plays. I think that they've been doing a really good job getting those first 15 or 20 plays out 
and and being an effective team with them. And then as you know, kind of as the as the game kind of progresses, one thing that the McVeigh school is supposed to be quite good at, and something that McVeigh that that uh, that O'Connell has talked about doing. Um, is setting up plays to create new plays, to create new plays, to create new plays, getting the defense to bite one way on one play and then getting them to bite uh, the next time on a very similar-looking play. It's something that McVay does really well. It's something O'Connell wants to replicate, and it's something that the Vikings have struggled a little bit with. But the some of their best plays in the second half do come from that ability. And I think the fourth-quarter comebacks that Cousins has had, I believe he has three this year, a lot of those come on those plays where they've set up a, a particular trend or set up a particular tendency for their receivers to run a particular route or their offensive line to block in a, in a specific way and uh they zag right and they and they they force a, a cornerback out of their leverage they force a safety um to play with bad eyes and that creates you know opportunity for say kj osborne to get a 28 yard touchdown pass or something along those lines so you know there is the element that you're looking for in terms of you know sequencing and play calling that mcveigh is really well known for and certainly that element of of play design and personnel you know you were talking a little bit about motion and and shifting justin jefferson around that's something that you know they're very happy to do they like to hunt for matchups and they say hey you know obviously you know we trust justin jefferson against any quarterback in the league one-on-one and when he's matched up against that guy we'll be comfortable throwing it to him but i mean we're more comfortable throwing it to your number three corner let's see if we can get that one set up too uh and uh and, and they'll move him around to see if they can do that and they'll play around with what defenses are showing in response to that and you know, it, it creates kind of a, an interesting back and forth in a way that, that previous iterations of the Vikings offense didn't do. They were a lot more static. Um, mm-hmm. That has led to opportunities for other players. I think that what's interesting, though, is that if you take a look at what Adam Thielen is putting on film versus the statistics he's putting together, they look like actually two different players. The statistics tell us that he is a player in decline, that he is not producing all that much, that he's not getting open, and he's not reeling in those contested catches. On the film, he's open. Um, he's doing a really great job of finding ways to get open, and he's just, for whatever reason, not getting targeted either because he's not in the progression, and Justin Jefferson is open, and, hey, if your first read's open, you throw it. That's how the game works. Or, uh, you know, because Cousins is is focusing too long on one read and and and, and late to move on from his progression, hmm. uh, and by that time, the window is closed. So I think actually Thielen is playing well. Conversely, Irv Smith is a uh, conundrum because, hmm. uh, you know, he's got – uh, a lot of athleticism, we're seeing that on the field. And the Vikings are really excited to use him. But, you know, he didn't start week one. And we were all really curious why. And it turns out that the way that the Vikings want to play these tight ends is to, uh, again, hunt for matchups. It's a, it's a thing that that is really, you know, sunk into the, the fabric of the offense is to hunt for those matchups. And if they think that, you know, uh, they're better off deploying a heavy run or play action game, they want to put Johnny Munt in there mm. um, to kind of seal up who, you know, that fifth person on the line of scrimmage might be and rather take that matchup with the occasional pass to a tight end. Or if they think, you know, there's going to be some seam options open available to them based off of how they play the middle of the field, then they'll put Irv Smith in there and say, hey, we can run you down the field and get you open. But the problem is after coming off of thumb surgery, and this is probably not a huge surprise, his hands aren't very good. (laughs) He's dropping passes uh, pretty pretty significantly at a high rate, much higher than any any other time in his career. So Mm -hmm. I I think it is related uh, to that thumb surgery. I think that if he were more consistent about catching passes – you know, I think we'd be talking a lot more about his total statistical output, which right now is middling. But in terms of, you know, getting open, you know, in probably not in the same way that Thielen is, but in terms of being an available option, you know, he's there. You know, he's not getting open as often as somebody like Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, but he's certainly, you know, getting getting into space. But the problem is throwing to him is is getting to be a liability at this point. 
Yeah, speaking of liability, uh, let's talk about the Cardinals injury report against the Vikings injury report this week. Um, <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings, uh, as far as Wednesday's practice go, had only Jalen Naylor on the injury report. Uh, recording this on a Thursday, and as of that Thursday, you have six did, did not practices. Um, one of them, I believe, Jalen Thompson came back and did practice. He's had a calf injury. He should probably be fine for the game. Uh, you saw a starting left tackle DJ Humphreys out with the back. Um, as far as uh, the game time goes, I think that he'll probably play. He's been on the injury report for a while. It doesn't seem as likely that Rodney Hudson, the Cardinals center, will. He's um, ultimately struggled to stay on the field some as far as since they've traded for him. He's kind of gotten off to a start for the season then gotten hurt. They said I think that they'll expect him back over the second half of the season. Then you also have the backup guard slash center Max Garcia, who came in, actually started the game against the Saints. And they said, we're going to keep Cody Ford, rotate them in and out, see who's better. Garcia gets hurt. They bring in Cody Ford, and it was like an instant jolt came into the offense, able to both run the football effectively. I believe, you know, Benjamin had about 100 or so rushing yards on 12 carries, which is kind of, you know, excellent efficiency there. Had a nice big 45-yard run play. But you also have James Conner has basically been banged up with his ribs. He's questionable, may not start again for another week. And Cardinals still have no idea as far as for what's going to be the status of Matt Prater, their kicker. Uh, I know there was a game or two earlier this year where they signed Matt Amendola, decided to keep him for a second week, then regretted it and decided to let him go. So <laughs> Rodrigo Blankenship is currently on the Cardinals roster. He is promoted there. Um, I would think that he maybe kicks for another week, but there is a chance that if Prater is good to go, they even have mentioned that Prater may kick the field goals and Blankenship could do the kickoff if Prater was in the spot enough, which... You know, when you've got two roster spots used on kickers, that's always just a kind of a showing of where he's on the season yeah. has been, too. <laughs> Trayvon Mullen also with his hamstring has been banged up. He's struggled to stay healthy. But this Cardinals defense, they've kind of been more carrying the offense this year, which surprised a lot of people. Uh, Arizona had one of the lowest cap numbers spent on their defense for any team overall. A lot of it was essentially trusting draft picks to step up. Uh, we've seen some returns starting to cash in now with their first-round linebackers. We've seen Byron Murphy take another step this year. Uh, year he's actually doing excellent coverage for a couple of weeks the Cardinals had not allowed a hundred yard receiver uh, Chris Olave I think passed that mark last week but they essentially their defense has functioned around blitzing you and then taking your number one option away so it's going to be really interesting I think to see this matchup because it feels to me like that neither of these defenses are maybe truly elite they give up plenty of yards they can also make big plays get turnovers it seems like if the Cardinals shift focus and try to get, pay attention to Justin Jefferson, I think that he'll get his. But it feels like this could be one of those Adam Thielen type of games if Kirk Cousins is able to get his way since Arizona has done better with Antonio Hamilton in there, but they're still probably missing a true cornerback too on the roster. He's been fine, but between all of those weapons the Vikings have, I think that's the matchup that I would look to exploit if I'm Kirk Cousins. That was an exhaustive injury list. You feel like Whoa. you almost got hurt reading it off yourself. There is seven people not, yeah, six people not practicing, a lot of people resting, and it's just, it's, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, conversely, the Vikings uh, have everybody that they expected to start the year fully healthy. I mean, they obviously have a major injury, and Lewis seen their first-round safety um, who's recovering from a fracture in his leg, but he actually didn't win the starting job away from Cameron Bynum, and so... From that perspective, you know, in terms of their starters, the Vikings are probably the healthiest team in the league, which allows them to have that luxury of looking for those matchups, like you mentioned. You know, if they they notice that you've got a, a quarterback out, or if they notice that they don't feel comfortable doubling with a particular safety that they may or may not have in there, um, they'll they'll hunt those matchups and make sure that hey, 
you've got your fourth cornerback in there. We'll we'll see if we can target him in a way that Kirk Cousins hadn't done historically. You know, he wasn't doing a very good job of hunting matchups. He was more kind of this is my one, this is my two, this is my three, where it was uh, a pretty interesting contrast with Aaron Rodgers in the division, who as soon as he saw like a backup corner to go in the game would absolutely make that guy's life awful, right? Just make them regret playing football and go after that matchup again and again. And we're seeing a little bit more of that with the Vikings, although, again, um, the best matchup is usually Justin Jefferson versus anyone. And so he will, he will, you know, kind of seek that out. You know, Jefferson has a couple of 100-plus-yard games, 250-plus-yard games. And uh, the only time Jefferson has been kind of bottled up is when they pair an elite-level corner with a double team on top of it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, in some cases, you know, it depends on what you would call a triple team. They've got three players with the eyes on the guy. Um, maybe not necessarily in immediate proximity, but ready to take on an override or something along those lines. So uh, it, it's usually a concerted effort to stop Jefferson that limits him to below 100 yards. And in those cases, it, it's up to players like KJ Osborne, who's playing, um, I think, really excellently. And then Adam Thielen, like you mentioned, um, to kind of carry the load. And I think that for what it's worth, Adam Thielen is doing that. It's really just about, you know, Cousins being able to hit him. And if the Cardinals are really as devoted to taking away a top weapon and enabling uh, secondary options and and saying, hey, you won't beat us Justin Jefferson, you know, if you beat us with Adam Thielen, that's the choice that we made and we're comfortable with it. You know, if that's what they'll do, the Vikings will endeavor to take advantage of that. Now, they haven't done an incredible job of that, except maybe, um, you know, against the Saints and certainly at the end of the game uh, in some of those late games. But they haven't done a great job of that. And I think that that's kind of one of the things that they were hoping to tighten up in the bye week is to make sure that when that happened, when those opportunities arose, that they took advantage of them. Um, so I think that that would happen. And then I think defensively, when you take a look at kind of what the Vikings, um, you know, obviously they're fully healthy, but, you know, kind of where those opportunities might um, be created for the Cardinals. You know, again, you know, just like Justin Jefferson, DeAndre Hopkins is somebody that, you know, the offense will consider itself matchup proof until proven otherwise. And so they'll probably target him. And I don't think there's a corner on the roster that has, you know, the chops to to deal with DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one. So I'm sure that the Vikings will devote a little bit of extra attention, but they don't really change what they do defensively. At least they haven't for the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, it's It's a lot of too high safety stuff. It's a lot of off or cloud coverage, you know, making sure that, you know, hey, you'll get your access to your underneath balls, right? Um, but you won't be able to beat us deep, which, you know, is the philosophy. It's not the truth. I mean, the Vikings have been beaten deep. But rather, it is just um, keeping those cornerbacks off the line of scrimmage, keeping those safeties, you know, patrolling those deep zones. There's not as much blitzing uh, on first and second down. Sometimes they create some blitzes on third down. But a lot of that, from a blitz number perspective, a lot of that is just sending all five guys in the line of scrimmage as opposed to just sending four. So it's it's a blitz, but not in kind of the aggressive way that sometimes we think about it. Harrison Smith, for example, has only had one blitz this year, and he's a remarkable blitzing safety. You know, that's something that the Vikings need to get better at. So uh, in terms of trying to find, you know, what's going to happen there, I think the Vikings are doing a better job basically every week shoring up who they are in the run game and doing a better job shutting down. Um, running backs, you know, I think Dalvin Tomlinson is playing really well. Harrison Phillips is playing uh, excellently. Uh, Zedaria Smith is not a remarkable run defender. He's more than making up for it in terms of pass pressure. Sure. Uh, and Daniil Hunter, kind of the opposite. Right now, he's not getting the pressure that he might want or deserve, but he's doing a pretty good job against the run. So for the most part, the run game is something that they've been able to isolate. But, you know, if they can create matchups over the middle of the field, if they can isolate, you know, former Cardinal Jordan Hicks in coverage, uh, you know, try to get him to the sideline, that's usually where most of the opportunities underneath um, for uh, for opposing receivers are. Otherwise, they'll try to beat Patrick Peterson or Cameron Dancer with speed 
if they detect that those guys have a deep zone to themselves. And, and very often they do. And very often, you know, the fastest receiver on an opposing team is typically faster than any of those corners. So there are matchup opportunities there for that Vikings defense. Like you said, it's not the world's best defense. It's not, I think, as disappointing as some of the really bad defenses we've seen this year. Mm. Um, but certainly, I think a lot of people expected defensive improvement for the Vikings uh, over last year. And, you know, surprise when you get rid of a, a really excellent defensive head coach who's sole purpose in life is to design defenses uh your defense kind of drops off a little bit in effectiveness but there are some individually good players we'll probably see an uptick in performance from players like daniel hunter but uh the the deep shots against those corners and the crossers against jordan hicks i mean eric hendricks is playing well but but jordan hicks is becoming um a bit of a problem in coverage yeah uh, i was gonna say with mike zimmer it's like his sole purpose was to um design defenses and then draft first round corners which is something that arizona <laughs> just it was the opposite yeah. of essentially just take the linebackers in the first round. So uh, let's talk a little bit with that DeAndre Hopkins because with the matchups, I think the pass rushes are going to be super important here. Um, Hopkins is out for the first six weeks of the year. Kyler Murray has one of, if not the lowest yards per attempt in the league. A lot of teams are just playing those two high safety looks. The Tampa two is returned. I think I saw an article. It was funny where someone had talked to Lovey Smith saying, Hey, this cover two stuff is great. Where did they come up with this? And Lovey Smith is like glaring at the guy. Like, really? Like, do you know who I am? And it's like, this is the guy, <laughs> this is the guy who's like, everyone knows from Tampa too. It's just like, so it shows that the NFL can be very cyclical. A lot of times we think of it in terms of, you know, good or bad, but sometimes it's just some have good seasons, some have bad seasons. Last year, the Cardinals were, you know, seven and one, uh, I believe. And they should have probably been closer to six and two. If you look at their schedule because of, that one miss in the Vikings game that probably was a game that had belonged to Minnesota. Um, and then this year, they're kind of in a little bit of a backseat with DeAndre Hopkins out. He's made their offense look semi-normal. Kyler Murray returned to about seven or so yards per attempt against the Saints. They actually were able to move the ball, score on different drives, were able to score in the first half. And what's interesting is that the deep ball has not really been there. Um, the hopes that people had had was you add Hollywood Brown, to DeAndre Hopkins, and then you change up your offense. Um, we'd heard a little bit more of rumbling, uh, I should say rumors, rumblings, rumblings, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> that Hopkins was going to be playing more in the slot this year, which is interesting because you already have a guy who's shown up really well in Greg Dorch, and you got someone who has kind of been growing out of that gadget role in Rondale Moore, who we thought was going to take more of that Christian Kirk downfield role. Now it feels like without Hollywood Brown on the field, the Cardinals offense is very similar to how it was last year. But they've added more pre-snap motion. Hopkins has moved around quite a bit instead of just being stuck on the left-hand side of the line. And I'm very curious as to exactly how that's going to play out for a guy like Patrick Peterson. Has he been sticking to one side of the field, or could we expect him to kind of a throwback to when the Texans and Cardinals used to play each other, seeing DeAndre Hopkins with Patrick Peterson traveling with him across the field? Yeah, I mean, we don't see as much in terms of uh, shadow coverage from Patrick Peterson. They're not saying that this is a corner that you can just stick on, you know, your opponent's best receiver and and know that you'll be confident. In fact, I've, I doubt there are very few corners like that in the league. I think that once Sertan and Sauce Gardner become a little bit more polished, we might see the return of a shutdown corner. But right now, I don't think there are any. And Patrick Peterson is certainly beyond you know, who he was, you know, in, in that capacity. But that doesn't mean he's sticking to one side of the field. Sometimes um, they will say, hey, Peterson, we know that you're a physical guy. We know that that strength is something that you have. And so we're going to match you up against receivers that try to use their strength to win because Cameron Dancer weighs 140 pounds soaking wet, right? And so we <laughs> want to make sure that, um, you know, we've got, you know, the capability to to match that up. 
you know, you might not have the quickness you have. You certainly don't have the speed that you have. But we know that you can press off the line if we need you to and, and hold, hold your own when receivers are attacking you at the five, six yard line. That becomes kind of a favorite area for officials to try and flag. Uh, and so it, it is more based off of, you know, skill sets and, you know, maybe the shape of the defense. Right. You know, if you've got a nickel on one side, you probably want, you know, and, and let's say you're blitzing that nickel. You probably want a good tackling corner on that side, too, because your nickel is no longer going to be available to run stop. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And so they are moving them around, but not in any way that makes you think that there is some sort of shadow going on, some sort of like we'll, we're going to we're going to take best on best. Um, in this scenario, just because of, of who these players are, certainly I think that you'll end up with Patrick Peterson and DeAndre Hopkins a lot more. Um, but mm-hmm. if uh, if they do decide to move Hopkins in the slot, you've got a Chandon Sullivan, which is not a situation that the Vikings are, are probably too happy about. Um, so, I was going to say, I think uh, he's gotten actually given up, isn't like the most yards in the slot from like almost any slot corner this year. I think I saw that as a, if it either was the most or I think it was one of the highest passer ratings actually is what it was. Um, going up against slot receivers. Yeah, he stopped tweeting at me for some reason. I wonder if that's mm. related. Uh, but, I don't know uh, about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not an ideal situation. And I think that, you know, the Vikings will assist with either Cameron Bynum or Harrison Smith in order to – because, because uh, like you said, you know, sometimes some players become – the fulcrum of the offense. And if you have the ability to disrupt that, you disrupt the rest of the offense. Not because, uh, sometimes it's not because that player is the best player on the field, although in the case of DeAndre Hopkins, he certainly has, you know, a claim to that, but rather because the way that you design that offense is based around what that player is supposed to be doing, what the capabilities are. And it really does sound like, you know, when Hopkins gets to return and gets to be part of the game plan and in and, 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 and strategy meetings and stuff like that, that that's exactly what they want to do. And so the Vikings should at least aim to make sure that that is uh, something that they're willing to take away. Again, the defense is right now extremely simple compared to NFL defenses across the league. Like certainly if it was compared to defenses from 20 years ago, it'd be remarkably complex. Yeah. Um, that's just the way the defenses have gone. But, you know, you compare it to even other defenses in the same school of thought, you know, the big Fangio Brandon Staley defenses, and it is a remarkably simple defense. And so it doesn't usually lend itself to that kind of thing. And then uh, Marquise Brown, I'm sure they want Cameron Dancer on him. He's the fastest corner that they have. Oh, he's the out right now, unfortunately, at least for Brown okay. for the next month. But right. you will get Robbie Anderson will be the one, I think, who will take over some right. of that Robbie Anderson, role. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm always losing track of Cardinals receivers. That's because Anything we keep trading for receivers yeah. instead of – and or drafting them or something like that. So it's like, you know, everyone said, like, Cliff just needs another receiver. That's all it needs to fix the offense. And ironically enough, that's what it looked like last week with DeAndre Hopkins. They'll just have to do it another week, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Robbie Anderson, certainly, you know, he is a, a physical style player, but not in the same realm as, as DeAndre Hopkins. I think that they would prefer to have Cameron Dancer on him. Um, but you know, it, it really is just a product of how they're going to design the front, how they're going to design, um, their, their coverage system with the linebackers and that'll flip the corners around. And sometimes it won't be based on kind of which cornerback is going to show up or which receiver is going to be on which side. Sure. Well, let's kind of finish up here talking about with pressure, because I think that's like what we've talked about. We've seen that when Kyler Murray is more comfortable or when the Cardinals are able to actually run the ball with him, where there's not a fear of necessarily him being under duress all the time, being able to actually, you know, put those legs. Because when you see with running quarterbacks, it puts a different type of stress on a defense because you're able to essentially have to play football of being aware that they can just tuck it and run. We saw that last year, I believe, in the Vikings game with Kyler being able to just kind of dip around the edge, get a big play to Rondell Moore down the side of the field for a touchdown. Um, 
with the pressure this year, at least, how has the offensive line looked? Because Christian Derrissaw, at least, seems to be playing excellent this year from the tackle spot. But Arizona has not had very good edge rushers. They've got two rookies who essentially they drafted this year, along with Marcus Golden, who didn't get his first sack until this last week. Um, they've not necessarily missed Chandler Jones. He hasn't really done that much with the Raiders, but they've not really been able to replace him thus far. So um, it's interesting because Arizona's gotten their pressure more in the interior of the defensive line with J.J. Watt back at a defensive end spot, sometimes even moving into DT, and Zach Allen is having a breakout type of year of being able to get pressure up the middle. Between that and then having some of these double A-gap blitzes, that's really where Vance Joseph has looked to overload for the pressure how do you think it's going to play out for this Cardinals team? Because it feels right now that the Cardinals, with having a more mobile quarterback in Kyler, could potentially have an edge here if Kirk Cousins, even if the interior pressure has not been, you know, getting to him as much as others have been able to in the past. Like we've seen with Kirk Cousins sometimes just, you know, look like a deer in the headlights with interior pressure. He's looked better against that this year. Mm -hmm. What do you think could be the the edge in the game, so to speak? Yeah, right. Um yeah, Derrissaw is having a really wonderful year, and they've designed their protection schemes around that fact, which is really cool for a second-year player who only had six starts in his first year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're even setting him basically on an island and setting their protections to be four-man protection calls and Christian Derrissaw, right? You know, he's even separated from the line a little bit when he's up against a speed rusher, so he's got a little bit more uh, ability to attack them as opposed to let them come into him. Um, it is... I'm not going to say really unique. I have seen this before, but it is pretty interesting to to watch play out. If you pay attention to stuff like offensive line splits, you've got four guys that are basically, you know, uh, two inches apart. And then Darosaw, who's like half a yard away from the rest of them uh, in terms of where they put their feet. And so um, they, they have all the confidence in the world in Darosaw being able to handle anybody. And I'm sure based off of the way that that Arizona has been able to get pressure off the edge, you know, that they'll remain that confident going forward. Um, and Brian O'Neill is playing very well at tackle. It is really that interior group that is a problem. And I think that you're right, that when Cousins uh, experiences interior pressure, at least this season, it has not been a particularly big issue. And in fact, it's less, again, as I said earlier, it's less the fact that the pressure is getting to him on blitzes and more the fact that his reads are muddied. Mm. That seems to be bothering him. The pressure situation, you know, he's not doing amazingly under pressure, but there's not anything unique about interior pressure that's that, <coughs> sorry, that's really making him crumble in the same way that we've seen in the past, uh, which is good news because the, all, all the pressure for the Vikings is coming up the interior. It is bad news on that front for uh, for the way that that offensive line is developing. They've got a really great set of tackles. They've got a functional guard at Ezra Cleveland. Uh, Garrett Bradbury is having a career year, at least by PFF standards. I'm a little bit skeptical based off of what I've watched, but um, he's having a much better year, certainly, than than he's had in the past three. So, uh, But Ed Ingram, the, the rookie uh, guard that they drafted in the second round, um, he's been having a lot of trouble. And I think that the mm. trouble that he's experiencing is actually conversely improving Garrett Bradbury's grade because people are going after Ingram rather than Bradbury, which I'm sure is a new scenario for him. Um, but it is it is really rough. And teams have been attacking uh, Ingram in particular, uh, you know, moving, you know, their their favorite rusher, whether that's an edge rusher, a linebacker or a defensive tackle 
over Ed Ingram, either on a stunt or directly at off the line of scrimmage uh, at the snap and making sure that that guy's life is pretty uncomfortable and it's working. Um, so that is kind of the focal point. I'm still not confident in Garrett Bradbury in dealing with strength. Somebody like Zach Allen, who is, a, I mean, both J.J. Watt and Zach Allen, you know, pop the charts in every athletic metric that you can take a look at. Um, so they're both agile and strong. They've got explosiveness and speed. Right. Uh, you know, Watt has his flexibility, Zach Allen, maybe not quite as much, but uh, that combination of strength up front could do a lot of problems, could do a lot of things that, that are problematic for people like Garrett Bradbury. And even though Ed Ingram is a stronger player, um, the way that he plays, the way that his technique works is that he robs himself of a lot of that strength when dealing with that because he's so concerned about getting beat by quickness, as he should be because he has also been getting beaten by quickness. So uh, it is it is a pretty difficult scenario, but the good thing is that Cousins has been navigating pressure, especially that interior pressure, a lot better, and the Vikings are doing a better job as weeks continue to progress. This wasn't happening very much, very much in week one or week two, but as the weeks continue to progress, using the bootlegs in the offense to just get Kirk Cousins out of the pocket because – you know, as good as J.J. Watt or Zach Allen are, as athletic as they are, and as much as I would trust them to beat Cousins in a foot race, bootlegs give you all kinds of time, period, right? Even if you've got Peyton Manning back there, just because of the head start, knowing where you're going, all that kind of stuff. So um, that's been helping out a little bit, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, setting the protections has been a lot easier because Darasaw's in the lineup. And um, I think that from that perspective, you know, you've got you've got you know, something something good for you. I think conversely, the Vikings, who have had a lot of trouble generating pressure outside of Zedarius Smith, will probably be in a more comfortable situation than the than the Cardinals pass rush dealing with that Cardinals offensive line as banged up as it is. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know the Cardinals offensive line had struggled for a long time with interior pressure. They put in Max Garcia, who was kind of their third option signed off of, I believe it was the Giants practice squad, but due to Justin Pugh being banged up to start there, he's now out with a knee injury um, for the rest of the year. But it seemed like they finally had figured something out when they were able to move Sean Harlow to the backup guard spot. Billy Price, a former first-round pick, has come in. He's looked like he's probably gotten the spot over Harlow, at least for the meantime, while they wait for Rodney Hudson to come back. And Ford at least has been better than Harlow or Garcia, who were both just giving up absurd amounts of pressure against the Seahawks. Um, in that one game in which the Cardinals went in, you know, against the 31st, 32nd ranked defense and put up three points or so on the road. Um, <laughs> kind of an interesting type of place for where these teams are. So let's talk now about kind of what the, the score, what we expect from this game. I think that I could see this being potentially another slow start for Arizona, considering that they have really started slow almost every game this season. They're going on the road, which they've done better on the road than at home. I just wonder if you could see, like, last year they had a big play to K.J. Osborne that kind of broke the game wide open right away for the Vikings. I wonder if we could see at least a target or something like that early. Vikings getting up to a bit of a lead, and then Arizona kind of working their way back into the game. At that point, it may really come down to, are you going to be able to see Dalvin Cook be able to run the ball effectively, the Vikings be able to put Arizona away, or could the Cardinals, you know, change things up a little bit, be able to feel a little bit more confidence now, and then get a little started with the likes of Hopkins, another week for Anderson. Um, we also have seen them play Greg Dortch a bit more. He's actually done very well in separating, um, was a undrafted free agent in 2019, is kind of finally stuck. It's just, you can't really put two slot guys on the field at the same time and pay Zach Ertz $10 million a year to like, you know, catch you know, balls for 45 yards a game or so. It just, it's been interesting to see how Arizona has really kind of had these set roles for their offensive players. I think that their offense is a bit more complete now, but it's going to be interesting if that's going to be enough to be able to actually overcome what's been traditionally, 
you know, a slow first half for them to begin. Um, what do you have as far as how you expect the game to go on Sunday? Yeah, I think much in the same way. I think the Vikings will come off to a fast start. I think the scripted play portion is is when they shine. Actually, both offensively and defensively, they did a pretty good job um, defensively against the scripted play portion of the game um, at the beginning. And I think it's from there the the self scouting that the Vikings took uh, took into account when they when they had their bye week. I think they want to figure out what is going wrong in that second half, and I think that they're going to try to get that going. I don't know if they can, right? I'm just saying that that's kind of on the table, and I think that they're aware of it. But um, yeah, I, I think that um, we're probably, it, it really is it dependent on the the size of the lead that they get after before Arizona kind of gets completely online. Because I think once Arizona does that, it's going to be very difficult for the Vikings to keep up. First, because like I mentioned, offensively, it's very, very difficult to get them to stay in rhythm. Um, but then secondly, defensively, I just don't think that they um, do well against well-oiled machines. And if that happens to be what the Cardinals look like in the second half, it's going to be First of all, we're going to hit the over, right? But second, yeah. um, it, it's going to be difficult to to have the Vikings, you know, step on uh, the gas pedal and make sure that, you know, that, that game runs away from them in a positive direction. But I, I certainly think that the Vikings will come out to a big lead. They've done it in almost every game except against the Eagles, which is pretty understandable, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and, and just kind of let things kind of chip away before they have to make kind of a last gap to make sure that there is something available to them in the win column. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that the third quarter is probably going to be the area that's going to decide the game. Yeah, and that's like you said, the Cardinals it seem will be happily taking advantage of whatever opportunity they have to claw back late into a fourth quarter. Outside of an early forced turnover, which was kind of the key to Arizona in 2021, they essentially would either force a turnover or get a big play early, get a score, and then be able to kind of run the clock out in the second half was what their key was, and it was also their key against the Saints. I think that it could be more similar to one of those 2022 games. I've got it at least about 31-30. I think it could come down to a Vikings field goal like last year. I just didn't have the same result was how I was picking it for this year as it was last mm -hmm. year. Um, it'll be interesting as well with seeing how Arizona's kicking situation has been. They've missed a couple extra points with Rodrigo, uh, one extra point with Rodrigo Blankenship, who said that he rushed the kick, but he's at least been more steady than Matt Amendola, who the uh, Cardinals coaches didn't even trust him to like kick anything within like, you know, I think it was 40 yards or anything like that, where he just, they just went for it on fourth down and, kind of a little bit of egg on the general manager's face where he just like said hey we're gonna keep this guy he kicked best in the practice and you know if we bring in a new guy he could miss an extra point and it's like hey uh steve i hate to break it to you chief um but he, he misses extra Guess points what? too yeah. and sure enough he Guess goes out what? and misses an extra point against the seahawks and it seemed like that just deflated the entire cardinals efforts and after that they won only one of four on fourth down and couldn't get anywhere going in the game so uh Arif, thanks for joining us at least to talk about some of that if you could go ahead and plug yourself at least what you have i've got the 3130 i could see it being a coin flip game for the most part would you have the vikings or cardinals winning uh to me i think it, i think it's probably going to be a vikings win just because you take a look at kind of the the high level aggregate um level of performance and, and you get yourself out of the the down to down play to play quarter to quarter stuff the vikings have just been a bit of a better team i think I've made my thoughts clear that they're not quite as good as a five and one team typically is, but I do think that they've got the ability to do something um, pretty positive against a team like the Cardinals, especially as banged up as they are. So um, I have a Vikings win to me. It's something like 28, 24. I'm usually very reticent to, to go above 30 for any team, unless I'm really not confident in, in, in some area of the game. Um, so that's probably just going to be egg on my face, but it still hits the over, I think. Uh, and, uh, and, and it has the Vikings cover a three and a half point spread. So, um, that, I mean, that seems about correct to me. Um, 
if we do see the game kind of run away and get to the 30s, that wouldn't shock me. Um, certainly, I think that there's a higher ceiling than there is a lower floor yeah. uh, in terms Agreed of the amount there. of points we'll see. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Arizona's offense has given up plenty of yards, and they actually, I think they average like 21 points when Hopkins is not in the lineup, 28 points when he's in the lineup. So that'll be interesting to see. That's why I've told people, I think that we could see the over in this game. I just do agree with you. Usually you pick the healthier team when it comes to one of these type of situations. Vikings right now are maybe the healthiest team in football. Uh, Reef, thanks again for joining so much on the ROTB pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again, guys. And we'll be back here next week going ahead and previewing the next game. In the meantime, go Cardinals. See you on the other side.